When it comes to mythology, usually you've got deities that are gods and goddesses of something useful, like, say, the harvest, or maybe rain, you know, stuff like that. And then there's Loki, the Norse god of mischief. With a smirk ever on his face, Loki delights in wrecking others' plans and wreaking his own mischievous blend of havoc on anyone unfortunate enough to be close to him. But what if Loki isn't quite as bad as we've come to believe? Could this established villain in Norse mythology and now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe actually have seeds of goodness trying to germinate in the subterranean depths of his heart? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of the Plugged In Podcast, Focus on the Family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, as you've probably guessed by now, we're going to be talking about the new Marvel series, Loki. But we're also going to unpack the trend toward embracing anti-heroes or anti-heroes, I'm not sure... I guess we should pick one and just go with it, right? (laughs) (laughs) On screen. Or at the very least, stories that seemingly seek to generate sympathy for characters that we once upon a time would have just considered pure evil through and through, and there wouldn't have been much conversation about it. Joining me for our conversation today are... Paul Acey. Emily Clark. And Jonathan McKee. Okay. You know... What's more fun than talking about anti-heroes, right? I mean, this feels like a conversation ripe with possibility. And to get us started today, I want to talk about villains. And if villains had a March Madness. (laughs) So, you know, think about your favorite villain, maybe doing a Steph Curry from the three-point line, you know, that sort of thing. If you had to pick four famous movie villains for a final four of villainy, who would they be? And why? Paul, I'm going to get have, ask you to start because I know you're ooh. chomping at the bit oh, to answer goodness. this question. So much pressure. So I was, I spent a lot of time thinking about this question. I really love this question. I want to do Thank a you. whole three podcasts on this question alone. <laughs> but oh, absolutely. I, I'm I, in. <laughs> I think the first two are no brainers, right? Right. You've got Darth Vader, Darth Vader, Joker. Yeah, and I think Darth Vader just wins. I mean, maybe that. But t- he's not really a bad guy. Well, you know, that, when but it that's comes kind of our point so, today, right? And maybe Joker's not either. Oh, Joker is. Oh, okay, Joker. Okay, <laughs> Joker totally is. Okay, well, maybe we'll circle back to that later. So, so those are the first two. Those are the first two. The other two, I really struggled with, and and I think I'm gonna go with Hal Nine Thousand. Oh, I was gonna go with Hal Nine Thousand from Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. I'm sorry, you can't do that, Paul. <laughs> Open the podcast bay doors, Paul. Oh, oh very that, that was pretty nice. good. Nice, huh? very nice. A little creepy. And I uh-huh. was, I was going to go with a totally different person, but as I was walking down to the studio, I saw this balloon actually floating oh, in the hallway. Pennywise. Exactly. I felt like it was a sign. I needed to actually say Pennywise, <laughs> the clown from it. And I hope that that balloon was not a symbol that Pennywise is lurking in our studio somewhere <laughs> Let us today. Let hope not. Let us hope not. So that's my final four. All right. Who would like to go next? Well, don't everybody chime in at once. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll go. Fine. Since everybody's staring at me. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, final four. Man, it's just. It's so tough. It's hard because, yeah, I mean, this is very tough. I mean, honestly, the first one I thought of is so obscure that some people are even going to be like, what? I haven't even seen that movie. It's not even a sequel. It's the third movie in a series. It's Mission Impossible 3, 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's character Owen Ooh. Davian, oh. best evil guy ever. Evil. Maybe you saw that. Maybe you just saw the preview to the movie where Tom Cruise is hanging him out of a plane, threatening him, and he's just laughing in Tom Cruise's face as he, you know, is counting <laughs> reverse. Yeah, yeah. It's just the counting thing. Philip Seymour Hoffman counting as he's about to do something bad. It was just. It was great. And honestly, he was probably my favorite villain. He felt like a Bond villain, you know? And, he did, uh, yeah. And, and there's so, and we could go through the Bond villains alone, couldn't we, Paul? We oh, could just yeah, sit there and absolutely. Be like, oh, I'm adding know. somebody to my list right now. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. You're thinking of a Bond villain, you know? Or we're even thinking of just Dr. Evil. Um, the, uh, no, I would have to say also, though, um, the character of Stansfield in the movie The Professional, played by Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. Gary Oldman makes really good uh, villains. Yeah, really bad. And then I'm going to cross the divide, and you guys might even claim that I'm cheating, that this isn't a villain but a monster. But I'm going to go with uh, Bruce the Shark in Jaws. Uh, He was the worst villain ever. Um, He was just doing what sharks do, though, man. Yeah, yeah, no, but he was so villainous because you never saw him coming. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're swimming along on your little yellow raft, and and just next thing you know, swimming. You're, just keep swimming. Yeah, oh wait, that's something different. Okay, are we allowed to do monsters? Because for me, it would definitely, you know, be Jaws. But uh, yeah, no, I'll, no, I'll allow Jaws. Well, in that case too, then it is the Alien and the Alien One because he was <laughs> just so bad. I just wanted so, to say Xenomorph. I don't yeah. know. I don't Xenomorph. know if you can knock. A creature for just doing what it was made to do. No, Alien was pure evil. He was on my he was, list. He was good and so. like Jaws. He didn't Jaws. ask to have acid in his veins. He needed yeah, some know, like some sort of acid reflux medication. <laughs> but 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 he was he was just so scary and bad. So I'm gonna actually go with two creatures, and I know it's cheating, but it's okay because I can do that. <laughs> well, and I'm allowing it, and I'm the arbiter of this icebreaker question. So good, good. Uh, well, judges say it's okay. Emily? Okay, so I kind of have an A team and a B team. Really? But, oh, I, also no. have, but I also have the villain who I most want to see destroyed. Okay. <laughs> I, and I've put a lot of thought into this. I can um, tell. So the first team is all Disney, and I chose these people because <laughs> I would love to see them in a movie together just with their personalities. I think it would be Oh. Fantastic. And that is Ursula, Maleficent, Cruella, and Hades. And I'm not talking about any of the live action stuff that's come out recently. Just I'm the talking cartoons. about the OG cartoons. OG. Those four characters, I think that movie would just be so fabulous wow. and like so it, much huh? fun to watch. All right, what's um, the B team? My B team includes non Disney characters. So you got to put Voldemort on there. He's, he's, Basically, it's a good thing I picked 12 because you guys have taken all mine. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of like the Hitler of the wizarding world. Uh, he's very evil. He's, yeah. And he's like, he has no redemptive qualities and stuff. And no. I know this. I've read the books. I've watched the movies. There are no redemptive qualities about this character. He's and a like, really like good villain, show. though. He's a really good I villain. Mean, exactly. That's whew. why I put him on this team. Because this is like, if you were to have a villain showdown on who is like the worst and then I would actually put uh, Scar from The Lion King on Ooh, there. Scar. Ooh, Another yeah. Disney villain. He's pretty evil. Like, you know, he you have evil. you have characters like Hades, who I mentioned before, who, you know, he tries to overthrow his brother, but he doesn't try to kill his brother. Scar straight up murders Mufasa. 
Yeah, and then blames Simba and is like, it's your fault. Simba's a little kid. What the? What on earth, you know? <laughs> and, well, and we could do a whole podcast on just Jeremy Irons' villains. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, no, he, yeah. oh, Ooh. yes. It has to be scarred with the Jeremy Irons voice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, All right, and then absolutely. to round off that team, because again, I actually think he would like, he would find a way to take over each of these villains somehow, or he would just get killed straight away, and that would be Loki. Okay, well, Loki, that will be a good segue into <laughs> our main conversation, but I still have to go. And you do. We have had a very indulgent first question, so I will speed round with, honestly, what are my B-level leftovers, but I want to do something new and different. So uh, my four for the purpose of this conversation, actually, they're pretty great. Saruman. Ooh, oh, yeah. Ooh, Saruman. Yeah. Uh, Boba Fett. Hmm, interesting. Oh, yeah, I know, right? I'm going to have to go with Agent Smith from The Matrix. Ooh. I know it's an R-rated movie, and I was I felt a little bit uneasy about that, but you guys picked all the rest of them. Uh, and uh, Jaws, not the shark, but the guy with metal teeth from oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. multiple yeah. uh, Roger Moore. Absolutely. Uh, James Bond movies, yes. So Yeah, I, I prefer him in Happy Gilmore, but yeah. All right. Well, I think we're off to a great start today talking about antiheroes and their draw, why they're compelling, and why we want to have stories about them. And, you know, once upon a time, back in the day, it wasn't hard to spot a hero, whether we're talking Westerns, superhero shows, science fiction. The bad guys were obviously quite self-evidently bad right? Nobody was concerned with whether Lex Luthor had had a tough childhood and maybe there was a reason <laughs> he was bald, bald and bad. He was just bad. Nobody cared about their feelings. Bad guys don't have feelings. They just tie people down on railroad tracks. <laughs> no one cared about how they got to be so evil. And no one cared if they might secretly want to do the right thing. Nope, none of that. Bad guys were there for one reason, to be bad, and to give the good guys, the heroes, someone to fight. Well, I think we got tired of that, right? Times have changed. And these days, so-called anti-heroes are everywhere. In fact, you could probably make the argument there might be more anti-hero TV shows and movies these days than ones that feature heroes. And even the heroes sometimes act like villains. We've sort of fallen in love with if not straight up darkness, uh, perhaps shades of gray. And so guys that we, and gals, sorry, I don't want to be exclusive here. Villains, no matter what gender that we once loved to hate, are suddenly being written as more fully developed characters. And their rebellion might still be pretty evil, but they perhaps have a spark of something redemptive lurking deep down inside. Or not. So let's talk about that. Plugged In recently reviewed the new Marvel series, Loki. And Paul, you wrote that review for Plugged In, uh, and I think all of us have watched it. So what's the general plot here, and what are some things that parents need to know about the show's content? We'll start in a very plugged in kind of place here. You betcha. So Loki, the last time we saw him, technically he was dead. He died. Yeah. Except that 
in the final Avengers movie, he escapes somehow in circa 2012. The Avengers go back. It's very complicated, but they go back and do some stuff in the original Avengers movie that they didn't originally do. Loki snags the Tesseract, which was the big MacGuffin for the Mm -hmm. 2012 movie. If I were a MacGuffin, what would I be? A weird little object that's like the it's like the Holy Grail essentially right. or the Ark of the Covenant the Ark Raiders of the Covenant Below. I was it's, thinking Raiders exactly it's one of those devices that everybody's looking for so the Tesseract was the MacGuffin for that particular movie so he goes off and all of a sudden he becomes what he suddenly learns is this variant this time criminal essentially Okay. Um, and there's an organization out there. Little did he know that there's an organization out there led by the timekeepers that keeps track of what is called the sacred timeline. He has gone off the sacred timeline, and they need to bring him in for some comeuppance. Except that there's this one detective for what is called the Time Variance Authority. Played by Owen Wilson. Played by Owen Wilson. His name is Mobius <laughs> M. Mobius. He, and he's got a really killer mustache, too. He has a killer mustache. One of the I, many... That may be a little bit weird, but I mean, you look at him, you're like, Owen Wilson. Maybe that's what Owen the middle Wilson M is for. Would... Mobius mustache Mobius. I love it. I love it. Anyway, back to you, Paul. <laughs> anyway. Loki is sort of sucked into the workings of the Time Variance Authority because they have a worse time criminal that they have to capture. And so that is where it begins. Um, Loki, the show, is for the most part what you would expect if you watch an MCU movie or an MCU TV show. And you're talking Marvel Cinematic Universe. Correct. 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 Sorry about that. Yeah, so you're going to have quite a bit of action. You're going to have quite a bit of violence. You have some language, including the S word, is spoken a couple of times. The other thing that we should really note here is... Which is is pretty consistent with what we've seen in most of the movies, I think. Right. Wouldn't you say? It it really is on a level with the movies that we've seen. Which is not to minimize it. Correct. But it's of a piece. Exactly. Exactly. So it's probably pretty edgy for what you would see typically on Disney+. Plus. But if you're used to the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, this is of a piece with that. Now, Loki is shown on a trailer. And if you really, really freeze some scenes, there's a little document that describes Loki, you know, the Time Variance Authority paperwork, uh, that describes his sexuality as gender fluid. Interesting. So, but that really isn't doesn't come to bear, at least that we've seen so far in the story. Huh. So you would have to be watching very, very, very closely, but it's something the parents should be aware of. Wow. I had not been aware of that fact, nor was I apparently watching that closely. That so, almost makes me just feel like they did that because he um, he's a shapeshifter. Exactly. That might be why they did There's, that? There's, you could know. go a lot of different directions in this conversation. From what I can see of Loki in all the movies and in the TV shows so far, the only thing he really cares about is power. Yeah. So you don't see him with a lot of romantic attachments whatsoever. Hmm. Well, Loki's a, a pretty complex character. What do you think happens in this show that might invite viewers to see him from a more sympathetic point of view? What makes him? you know, moves him from just straight up villain to anti-hero kind of territory, do you think? Um, well, I mean, if we're just looking at the movies, I would say because he does try to change his ways in some of the later movies, he works alongside his brother, Thor. Okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think that he there's some redemptive qualities there. He really tries to, you know, fix some of the mistakes he's made. And if we're talking 
specifically about the TV show now, um, I would say that Loki, you know, he looks back on, or rather he looks forward into what he will do because the timekeepers are able to show him, like, this is what happens in the sacred timeline. And he sees mm. what all his mistakes lead to. He sees that, you know, he's actually the cause. Well, maybe not the direct cause, but he is does sort of cause his own mother's death who he that was like the one person besides thor who he actually loved and even when uh odin eventually dies like he felt remorse at that like you know because it's still his parents and such and you know when he sees all the pain and suffering he's caused you know he looks at mobius and mobius and he's like <laughs> he basically says i don't enjoy causing pain I don't. I have to do this differently. I have to fix this. Okay. He has always been a fascinating character, maybe arguably the most fascinating character within the MCU itself because oh, that's of another podcast how too. we have seen him, his character change throughout the movies. In the original Avengers, in the original Thor, he was very, very, very much a bad guy. But even right. there, you saw He's some, the main big bad in the first Avengers, In the right? first Avengers, yeah. And, and, and But even then, you see some complexity. You see the fear. You see the insecurity. Securities. You see his desire to prove himself as worthy of his brother. Puny God. And as, as the, <laughs> the nice. movies go on, especially when you come to Thor Ragnarok, you see sort of this development of his character where mm. he tries to do something better with his life. It, it has always made Loki one of the more compelling characters within the MCU, and I think that's one of the reasons why Disney decided that he would be a great focal point for a whole TV show. Because, in a way, I think that Loki, more than anyone in the MCU, reflects us. Oh, boy. Well, oh, this man. wasn't on my list of questions, but, well, why? Loki, as we know... If we are Christians, we know that we are fallen creatures. We know okay. that we are inherently sinful. We know that we um, struggle to do the right thing. And our own selfish desires often win out. Well, yours. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you, Emily. But, but you, do have, you do have this sense that, that we are always sort of on the verge of rebellion, right? Yeah. I mean, we are a rebellious creature. We are stiff-necked people. And that is the, the epitome of Loki in a sense. Yeah. So you have that good and the bad weighing within him. And I think even in the second episode, when we get to the second episode, he actually says he knows a secret. Loki knows a secret. Good people are not truly good. Mm. And bad people are not truly bad. And I think that that sums up the human character right there. Wow. Well, I, I think it's interesting if you're you know talking about, I guess, Loki in a way embraces the sinful nature in a biblical sense, because he kind of does whatever feels right in the moment and whatever is, you know, kind of selfishly, he, he's kind of thinking for Loki. He's not really thinking for others. He's not considering others when you, and I'm sure that he, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, somebody like Thanos and can you believe that none of us chose Thanos as a bad guy? I Cause I mean, my goodness, I, oh, I mean, I mean, he probably uh, should have. Thanos. Anyway, I you know. pick Thanos. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we, we probably should have. But it's funny because compared to Thanos, you know, all of a sudden Loki becomes that good guy. And I would say it's very much kind of the world's um, view 
on morality because sadly the world, you know, when it comes to morality, it's like sit back in your chair and go, hmm, I think that, you know, and it's just literally, what do I think if I, and, and we, we put ourselves in, in God's chair and I think it's like this and we kind of design instead of looking to the way it actually is and the way our creator made it. Mm. And the fact is Loki kind of, you know, I mean, this God of mischief is this guy who basically does whatever he wants and whatever suits him. And sure, he might think Thanos is bad. And, and I think the world would love to pat him on the back for that. <laughs> um, and at the same time, we laugh when Hulk, you know, flaps him on the ground like a, you know, like a little toy, you know, because he is such a mischievous little creature. But <laughs> in a way, we kind of embrace him and like him because he does what he wants. And wouldn't it be cool if we had a morality like that, this little smorgasbord morality of I'll take which parts I like and just throw away the parts I don't want. Well, and one of the things that I I enjoy about this show and I enjoy movies and TV shows that grapple with this theme is the whole intersection of free will versus predestination or predetermination. And there's this idea here that the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, it's not God, but it functions in a kind of godlike way in that there's an approved narrative of the way things are supposed to go. And when somebody veers off the narrative somehow, you know, these characters, uh, Mobius and Mobius, who in some ways I, I kind of think of them almost as angels, you know, they're like they're the they're the agents of this, you know, deity like organization to keep the program on track. They go out and clean up the mess. Uh, and Loki totally rejects that narrative. You know, Loki's point of view is it's my choice and my will that determines all of my outcomes. And I mean, isn't that where we're at as human beings that we wrestle with this tension between I have a will, I have choices to make, I have agency, and I want to believe that I can affect ultimately the outcome of my life the way I want it to. And at the same time, stuff happens to us all the time that sort of feels like it's not on the sacred timeline, you know? <laughs> and And so it throws us off and we have to grapple with where is God in the hard stuff? Where is God in the accident that somebody has on a Tuesday afternoon that changes our life? Where is God in COVID? I don't know that this show is dealing with questions exactly like that, but I think it does raise that question of how do we grapple with trusting a God that we believe has a sovereign plan and the reality that we have individual choices to make too. So uh, Paul, I know you and I were talking about this yesterday. Do you have anything to toss in along those lines? Well, it's a paradox. You know, we feel that tension throughout our lives. Yeah. And I think as Christians, we particularly feel that tension. You know, you have you have whole denominations built on the concept of free will or on predestination. You have this built-in weirdness that we have to balance. How can God know everything, and yet we have the choice to accept or reject. We have the ability to control our own destinies. And that's a very weird thing for us to grapple with. I've always kind of pictured it as sort of one of those old pick your path, yeah. to, you know, choose adventure, your own adventure, choose your own adventure books. Um, but, and when you look at, since we're talking about villains here, it's kind of interesting when you look at the pantheon of villains that we talked about, even yes. the two that I mentioned first, Joker and Darth Vader. In a sense, you have these villains that represent 
both sides of that very strange coin, you know, the bad side of free will and the bad side of just this complete inflexible order. You know, Darth Vader is this avatar for the order of the empire, which restricts everything, all the freedom that you have. And then on the other side, you have Joker, who is this chaotic Loki-like character. who An just avatar wants, of chaos, if you will. Exactly. Who just wants to watch the world burn. So... There's this tension that we feel all the time in these questions. I think it's one of the biggest tensions, honestly, that we may feel in our Christian walk. Do you think that's one of the reasons why these kinds of, of shows that focus more on the villain are compelling to us? Because they give us an opportunity to dive into questions like that? I think so. I believe that one of the things that, that Disney has done well with its shows thus far is it is it has used them to talk about some deeper elements, you know? Um, and I think that Loki is the most ambitious of the bunch. Okay. We enjoy thinking about these themes, but we don't necessarily enjoy pondering them as we would in a philosophy class. This allows us, it gives us a sort of a template, a canvas to ponder these issues in a way that's sort of digestible and, and tangible. And I think for parents listening out there, if you have young superhero fans um, and you are able to navigate the content that we have talked about here, I think this show, maybe more than some of the things Marvel has done, actually gives you a platform to talk about these deeper theological and philosophical questions about free will, about predestination, about evil, about suffering about what do we do when the plan doesn't seem to go right. So um, just tuck that away the next time you watch it as a family, and maybe you can spend some time afterward really kicking those around a little bit, because I think there is an opening here that could be a, a terrific catalyst for conversation. Well, we've been talking really pretty specifically about Loki, but obviously Loki's just one of you know an entire pantheon, a cavalcade, if you will, of... Antiheroes. Who are some of the other antiheroes, and what are some other recent movies and shows that have really focused on, if not straight up villains, certainly these darker sort of heroes? Well, you've obviously got Cruella, which just came out, and yep. you have Maleficent from a few years ago. Um, and then I also saw an article that Disney has greenlighted a TV series about Gaston and Lefou. So um, it'll be kind of their origin story, how those two became friends and I guess how they became villains. I'm not really sure. It almost seemed like it was more of a hero story. So I think that qualifies as an anti-hero right there because they are the villain. Well, yeah, they're the villains in yeah. Beauty and the Beast. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting that Disney is continuing to go to this well, you know, of who are the bad guys and how do we tell their stories? And, and even the Descendants, the three Descendants movies are... Yep you know, the children of Disney villains and, you know, they really become a redemptive force. I mean, they, they Disneyfy the kids of the Disney villains. Other examples that come to mind. So one of the things that I always think of when I, I ponder the issue of anti-heroes would be Jack Bauer from 24. Okay. Um, he's sort of the flip side of Loki in a way where Loki is sort of this villain who wants to maybe be heroic. Jack Bauer is this hero who does some pretty villainous things. He definitely walks right. the line. And I think that, that he makes a compelling character. You, had, you have a lot of quote-unquote good guys 
who push the envelope on what a good guy should do. Okay. You could even argue that Batman is a yeah. little bit of an anti-hero in a way. Well, and especially the treatment that Christopher Nolan gave him with the Dark Knight trilogy, I think actually was a complete reset for how DC approaches their entire superhero thing because he was all of a sudden gritty in a way that I'm not sure, you know, with all due respect to Tim Burton, I'm not sure we had seen that level of darkness or antiness yeah. um, in Batman. I think a lot of it goes back to, I mean, you, if you really want to go back to it, you could go back to the comic book, The Watchmen, which, you know, I mean, we're talking decades ago. Yep, mid-80s. Um, kind of started this whole thing of what if villains weren't perfect? And now we're seeing some very raw um, examples of that that are actually, and parents should realize these things are a click away for your kids. Like uh, a very you know, MA show, the boys on yeah, Amazon boys. prime wow. um, is, you know, way across the line on that kind of stuff. Um, and again, it's just playing with morality of like, um, and sure. Some people could argue, well, this is a good discussion starter on morality and what is right and what is wrong. Uh, but it lacks the, uh, you don't get to see any, the thing that I wish I could see is I wish you could see the moral character, the, the hero that actually, sees right and wrong and talks about, you know, is there a right and wrong? I, I It's funny. I don't know if any of you have seen uh, the series Jesse Stone. It's based off the Robert Parker books. It was, you know, uh, one of these series that basically was on TV for probably about a decade played by Tom Selleck. But Robert Parker's a really good writer. And there's this one scene where Jesse Stone, who's his private eye, is his character. And he's talking with this young girl who got in trouble. And she asks him about right and wrong. And she's like, who are you to say what's right for me? And he just answers. He goes, the guy you asked. And then he answers her. And I love his answer. He goes, most people don't have trouble seeing what's right and wrong. Doing it <laughs> is sometimes complicated. Mm. But That's... knowing what's right isn't usually so hard. And I just love that. Because so often, you said it in the intro, Adam, we've gone into a world of grays. Who is there to say what's right and wrong? Mm. You have to figure it out yourself. And I think that's where it's so important of us as parents to be in God's word mm. and to see that there is a right and wrong and to look at sometimes the consequences when we as imperfect people like Abraham, Isaac, King David, imperfect people, what happens when we stray from what's right and wrong mm. and that there are consequences out there. And it's sometimes not as mushy as many of these shows are portraying. Mm. Yep. No, I love that Jonathan, because honestly and truly, if you want to know who's to say what's right and wrong, well, look at your Bible. God tells you <laughs> Right. No, But, um, sometimes I wonder like, what is the obsession? You know, we've kind of like, you know, scratched the surface here, but I think that I almost wonder if they don't keep focusing on these darker themes and these villains and such, because when you, when you watch those old classic Disney films or really any old classic, um, hero villain movie, you can tell, Oh, that is very clearly the bad guy. That is very clearly the good guy. You know, if and you, you know which one you're supposed to aspire to be. Exactly. You know, you watch an old Western, the bad guy's always wearing black, you know? And basically what I think of is, you know, the reason I think that we sometimes want to delve into that is because in the real world, it's not always so obvious who's evil and who's good. It usually is more complex. And I think that's actually why these films and movies keep diving into that is because they want us to see, hey, this is what makes a villain. 
this is how you can start seeing it because you can draw parallels between those characters and the people in your life. I think that's exactly right. And I think the interesting thing about this discussion is there's not a black and white answer on whether anti-hero movies are good or bad. And like a lot of things, there's a spectrum. They're not all in the same category. We've got anti-hero stories that take maybe characters we thought were bad and move them toward redemption. I think that we're seeing that with Loki. We'll have to see how the series unfolds. I hope I hope that it continues to move in a redemptive direction because I think there are some sympathetic things about Loki's character that make him interesting. But sometimes we have anti-hero movies that are and TV shows that are just anti, right? I mean, we get a very nihilistic message that gives us an incredibly grim picture of reality, whether it's the boys or the Watchmen. Um, and there's there are a lot of examples. I think the most recent Joker movie felt extraordinarily grim to me. And so I think that we, we have to ask ourselves, well, what kind of anti-hero movie is this? What's the message here? What am I being asked to identify with? And what's the worldview? Is the worldview that somebody can be bad because of things that happen to them, but if given a chance, they can move toward redemption? Or is the worldview, it's all bad, it's all meaningless, so we may as well just blow stuff up and enjoy it? Because that's a really different worldview. And we get both of those competing. And so our job as parents, as those who are interacting with folks that are younger, um, is to exercise that wisdom and discernment and say, well, what is going on in this story? What is the draw here? I mean, I think at times any of us can feel angry and want to just sort of be in that blow it all up kind of mode, but we have to take a step back and say, actually, that might push us off the sacred path to borrow, you know, Loki's understanding of that and really thinking about where is God at in this story? And these are stories that I think are born out of a culture right now that is incredibly confused. There's a lot of anger and there is a lot of gray. And so we're getting stories that talk about right and wrong and we're getting stories that question whether right and wrong even exist. And in the midst of that, as you guys have said, our plumb line is scripture. Our plumb line is a relationship with Christ that enables us to see that from a godly and a biblical point of view. Well, I feel like as is often the case with our plugged in show conversations, um, as Emily said, we were just scratching the surface here. Uh, so true. So much to talk about. And and that's the case whenever we dive into these conversations about good and evil. There's enormous complexity here. And if anything, we're living in a time where I think our moment takes that more seriously than maybe some of the older stuff did that was just, it's all bad or it's all good. So that's a good thing. But as I've said, we still have to really exercise discernment as parents and help our kids to think through the questions that these things are asking and how we want to think about it from a biblical point of view. Well, as always, we hope that the Plugged In Show really is a catalyst for conversation, maybe with your spouse, maybe with friends, maybe with children, grandchildren. Uh, And we would love to continue that conversation potentially with us as well. So this week, we would love to hear from you regarding this specific question. Do you think the trend toward glorifying antiheroes is a good thing, a bad thing, 
or somewhere in between. Let us know at our Facebook page or on our Instagram page, which you'll find at Plugged In Team. And we would love to keep this discussion going with you. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed our talk about Loki and the mischief that uh, he certainly has no problem finding on a, a regular basis and the complicated role of antiheroes in our entertainment culture today. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our conversation today. Or if you want, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY and we will get that sent out to you. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us this week, and we look forward to joining you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show.